Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm Ben Rose. Welcome to another episode brought to you by the Reinsurance Podcast. We don't have sponsors <laughs> this week. Cool. All right. What are we talking about today, Jared? Today, we've been sort of canvassing the market, and the, the question that everyone seems to be coming back to is, is what is sort of happening with the hard market? How long will this market condition be? Like, what are the things that are driving it? Um, and we are the sort of very obvious people to answer such a question. So here we are to talk about how long will this hard market last and what do we think will be the driving forces behind it changing or capacity coming in or evolving in a way that we no longer deem it to be a hard market. So, I mean, maybe an interesting place to start before I unveil my my many theories that I'm hiding under this imaginary cake uh, would be to ask why this hard market started in the first place. You know, what what was it that led us to suddenly mm. go from a decade of soft market cycles to to pivoting to a hard market now? And then maybe we can ask to what extent we expect those yeah. conditions to continue. Bef- before we dive into that, Oh, a prequel what? to the prequel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just you wait, it keeps going back. Yeah. This is like a Timothy Chamelet prequel. Willy Wonka reference? Missed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but how would you define a hard market? I think it's kind of one of those things that seems to be people know it when they know it. Yeah, but what, what would you qualify as like the characteristics of, oh, these things have happened, therefore, hard market? Like, so before you have we a, do that. <laughs> oh, it is a prequel to <laughs> a prequel. We have to tackle the market cycle then. Yeah, I, fine. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to do that. Okay. I'm going to answer your question. <laughs> I... So yeah, so at its uh, simplest, we in the insurance and reinsurance industry have come up with a terminology to describe something that happens in basically every industry, which is <laughs> there is a relationship between supply and demand that determines prices. Um, so coin such a thing, and effectively. The, the hard market or the soft market in reinsurance refers... I find it easiest to remember it this way, so here's my, my tool. I, during a hard market, mm-hmm. it is hard to buy, I, whether it's insurance or reinsurance, because yeah. there is a, a more limited supply of capital available versus the demand that would like to buy coverage. Sure. So it's hard to buy in a hard market for our listeners who maybe haven't come across this concept before, whereas... We don't call it the easy market. We call it the soft market because they went for a different opposite. Uh, In the soft market, there is tons of capital available, Mm. at least relative to the amount of demand uh, that's looking to buy. And the result, of course, being that uh, there is more power or negotiating leverage effectively with uh, people who have all of the demand and have lots of choice about who they buy from. Whereas in a scenario where there's a constrained amount of supply, the supply can be choosy about who it offers yep. to insure or, or reinsure. Yep. But that, that's the, the concept of hard and soft markets, yeah. and they do something called cycling. Yeah, so then you'll see as as the market goes through its various phases, which we've deemed cycles, um, as prices harden and it's more expensive for insurance companies to purchase reinsurance and the terms are better for the reinsurers, You've historically seen an influx of capital coming in and that sort of increase in supply, I guess we would sort of deem it. Yep. Like, supply and demand gets weird in our space because you have buyers assuming risk yeah. and things. But um, an increase in the supply of capital then sort of starts to bring the prices down. 
And at a certain point, you get to sort of where there's a surplus in capital that's not being deployed and it begins to leave, or in what we've seen in this more recent one, um, an increase in the number of claims or losses and the lack of profitability has caused uh, the reinsurers to exit in some places, sort of drying up the supply, which, as you've pointed out, results in the seed and sort of going, ooh, it's more difficult to buy. This must be a difficult market. <laughs> um, but it results in the seed having a harder time securing the capacity at the price that they term. And and you do. You see the very similar sort of supply and demand chart mm. where the price for that policy or the price for that coverage will be sliding up and down based on the available capacity in yeah. some ways. And and it's, it's to add another sort of dimension to this, it's, it's, it's far more complicated than, you know, the number of seedants outweighs the number of reinsurers or, or yeah. something like that. You know, you, you do have a, a healthy price elasticity of demand built in here as well in the sense that I know if reinsurance is expensive, seedants can choose not to buy it. Yeah. Uh, or if it's cheap, they can choose to buy loads of it. Yep. Uh, and we often do see people, you know, using budgets uh, in quite a consistent way. So, you know, if this is their reinsurance budget, they may spend all of it every year, even if they that gets them more coverage than they planned on. Yeah. Uh, or if uh, reinsurance is too expensive, they might live with, you know, a bit less coverage than they would usually yep. buy. I, or it might be a budget determined based on how much business they've written themselves, which can be influenced by underlying rates, inflation, yeah. et cetera. So, a ton of factors. I haven't even yeah. come on to alternatives, which we should in this episode at some we, point. Yeah, yeah. Of- the other thing I wanted to sort of highlight, which in, in that sort of complex sort of map you've just laid out, is it's oftentimes as um, lazy to deem the entire market hard or soft. In many ways, it could be by geography or sometimes even in the current market by class where some classes have been performing quite badly, where reinsurers haven't exited the market as such, but they're no longer doing that much in that class or that much in that sort of peril territory, if you will. Um, So certain parts of the market are much harder than maybe others. You might Mm -hmm. see marine sort of being relatively normal or some parts of casualty being relatively stable whilst you see some parts of the property market hardening quite a lot. So you see the bigger the bigger types of products, um, big property cat stuff being a, quite a market mover oftentimes with the big casualty programs. Um, but there's more complexity to that. So it doesn't mean every program an insurer buys is more expensive or harder to buy. It's so it's, we sort of have to think about it with that level of nuance and sort of a lens on that as well as we sort of think about market conditions more broadly. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, there's, there's tons to unpack here, isn't it? Good thing we've got a whole episode on Buckle this. up, listener. You know, uh, we're going to run out of, of time. Uh, we have, haven't even got back to the original, <laughs> my original proposed starting point yet. And we won't because I still want to cover as well. I, you know, we think about hard and soft markets being a state, but I guess... In some ways, they're directional, right? We, yep. It's not like uh, suddenly reinsurance or insurance is expensive yeah. or cheap. It's more that prices are increasing or prices are decreasing. Yeah, I, It's the direction of those prices. So although, for example, at the moment we consider ourselves to be in a hard market, that doesn't mean that prices are higher than they were three years ago when we yeah. were very much in a soft market or even seven years ago when we were in a soft market. It's... I, going to take a fair a fairer duration of the hard market potentially or yeah. a certain you know angle of acceleration of the hard yeah. market in order for us to get back to where prices were during a very very long soft market yeah. one of the biggest debates uh, in 
this conversation, when is this hard market going to end, yeah. if at all, uh, is partly based on where the middle is, where, mm. where people believe the true price should be, you know, and, and how capital, etc., will continue to respond to that. So if we think about it then in the sort of market cycles piece and, and uh, focus your mental eye on a nice sort of sign graph <laughs> listener where you have that, I think that directional piece is important, right? So soft is when it's the arrow is uh, trending down and then you hit a bottom and the air begins to trend up. And the entire journey up would be considered a hard market in many ways. Um, if we are unclear, so we're looking either at where the top is, where it begins mm -hmm. to sort of change direction and head back towards prices are decreasing, or you're seeing some sort of like asymptotic line where it's begun to plateau and it's like, oh, we've found sort of a stability equilibrium zone. And, and then maybe the question becomes, how long do we stay there before outside factors shift either supply or demand and, and you see a directional shift again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also we could add a layer of complexity around uh, whether it's real rates versus, you know, taking account of inflation, etc. Yep. You know, or risk adjusted. Yeah. Yep. There's a, a lot of other factors to take into account. But let's jump to the question initially asked. When will this hard market end? No, no, no. Oh. The, the, the initial question <laughs> oh, for the episode. Cool. Yeah. I, you know, so what made this hard market come along in the first place? Yeah. And are the conditions that led to it now answered, yep. fulfilled? Or are we still answering the original questions that caused a turn? So I think... An inflection point in the previous market. So we talked about this um, in some episodes previously. Uh, and I think a couple of the bigger ones being the the broader rate environment, uh, interest rate environment, and and I think you see this this shift in um, losses. The losses piece. Let's let's start there. Mm. Uh, you you've had an increase in catastrophes in both frequency and severity, and as we've sort of are heading into what's now been reported as going to be the hottest year on weather, even. We know that in advance now, which is um, concerning to some people, what the impact that might have. But we don't yet know. I don't feel we yet have a lens as to what the new like loss equilibrium is. What you saw something is like the number yeah, of yeah. billion pound this, dollar this plus been, losses. In this a has year. been the sixth year in a row that insured uh, disaster losses have, have, have been above a hundred billion. Yeah. Uh, which used to be considered a Super exceptional rare. year. Yeah. And again, you know, 100 billion is a, a number that's not been adjusted, et cetera. But that still, you know, changes the way yep. that we think about yep. scale here. So the uh, reinsurers have to enter into a universe in a world where, like, that is what's expected. Yeah. But I guess equally, you know, we're looking at a Lloyd's market specifically, to take another example, that's looking at a stamp capacity of, like, 50-something billion yeah, premium. When I think back, you know, ten years ago, and it was on twenty five. So, I, mm -hmm. you know, the amount of premium potentially that's sloshing around has grown quite a bit as yeah. well. The world is riskier. Yes, people are spending more on insurance though as well, which I think was a worry for a long time. That I, as a share of GDP, as a share of the world at risk, insurance was becoming a bit less less yeah. relevant, arguably, which also I may have made things challenging if we were just left with the bad risks. Yeah. But you could argue we're, we're trying to track yep. uh, how much riskier the world is coming. Yeah. So I think piece one will be uh, the market coming to an understanding and to a level of comfort with the loss environment that they mm -hmm. expect to be in and calibrating um, their internal positions on that, but also maybe improving 
their ability to model those losses and adjust their prices and and in some cases for a reinsurer build a, a build a portfolio strategy that accounts for certain classes mm-hmm. having many large losses but others being a bit more cyclical or similar so um, I think that's the first piece mm-hmm. is getting comfort there um, the second piece maybe being the supply the interest rate environment driving or having an impact on how much supply is coming into the space yeah I think we had a, a number of events that we should come back to in a minute, but we, we had you know one big hurricane that kicked off I sort of much more urgent conversations about rate change. Mm-hmm. I this time last year, well, just over a year ago. I this year we haven't had that. We haven't had a single big hurricane event that's caused you know substantial losses. Yeah. So perhaps this is gives a, a chance of a more asymptotal (laughs) sort of flattening of the curve for now but as you said a moment ago we're going into a el nino year expected to be the hottest on record you know possibly a 1.5 degree change i versus pre-industrial levels (laughs) climate wise i who knows what that's going to lead to when we come into next year i so it could be that even if we do have a a relaxation from the hard market Mm -hmm. i in its original level of acceleration, it might be that it picks up again yeah. quite quickly after that. So it was it was event-driven to some extent. But I think I do have an interesting story for you. Let's go. It's not a story, an interesting theory. Okay. I, which is that the hard market has in large part been sustainable into this year because of the number of topics available to underwriters upon which they've been able to point to uncertainty in the world around them and uncertainty in terms of not necessarily directly risk-relevant factors, but factors that affect the overall supply of capital Mm -hmm. and its vulnerability. So if you remember what actually kind of led to real struggles with the previous hard market, it was retro capacity Mm -hmm. had suddenly gone missing, so nobody knew you know whether there was going to be reinsurance to buy yeah until that became a bit clearer um so even if you think well you know actually it's not been a bad year for marine or whatever some individual class of business uh, or some individual region if the global pool of retro or reinsurance capacity mm-hmm. becomes constrained or is hit by a major event then you're going to expect prices to go up and we have had hovering over that pool of supply I, a, I th- it feels like a record number of simultaneous, what I'm attempting to coin, grey swan events, mm-hmm. just waiting to happen. They're not black swan events that you know nobody thought would happen, but rather they're events that everybody knows could materialise, everybody hopes that they won't, but that seem impressively likely, especially in a an era that's just been through the pandemic altogether where sure. something unthinkable that yes we had thought about had actually happened and had really changed the world for us yeah i so i would point to for example the risk of a, another pandemic coming along i'd point to inflation mm-hmm. which although has gone largely away to some extent we may be on the brink of another i uh, research inflation who knows yeah. uh, especially if you look at the middle east right now yeah i you may see I, a continuation of the Ukraine situation uh, that shows no current sign of abating, it's just sort of overhanging or an escalation. I, you have the 
the Middle East situation, you have climate change that we've already discussed, and then you have going into 2024, I think it's actually the first time in history uh, that more than half the world's population will be voting in elections. Mm. Uh, so we're going to have a, a lot of uncertainty. massive yeah. upheaval politically. Uh, in particular, everyone's looking to the US uh, to see what happens there because mm. potentially policy changes there could make a whole host of events more or less likely. I think lots of analysts have also pointed to a window of risk around a, a China-Taiwan situation as well. Yeah. I so what within next year <laughs> and n none of these are expected to happen like you look yeah. at the numbers even you know a, a trump presidency coming back mm -hmm. is i think 30 percent is like one of the numbers that, yeah. that's been put out but it's all everyone can think about yeah you know <laughs> a, it's, it's, it's the same for climate change you know, like all, yeah. all of these issues statistically doesn't feel like they're necessarily going to happen, but they're all yeah. just hovering in the minds of everybody who's sat on risk capital. Because what you sort of have is, as an industry, we've, we've sort of categorized it into two buckets previously. You had you either have a very large black swan events that like um, are rare, mm. but they're huge when they happen and they shift the market. And but you can kind of go, these are our one in one hundred, yeah. one in five hundred year events, and that's what those are. Or you have B. Lots of little aggregation, like, but but you're sort of introducing a third category, which is like, they're not quite as big as the mega cats, but there's a lot more of them, and they're way way bigger than your traditional sort of aggregate sort of category, and yeah. so it's like instead of there being three of these, there's fifty or a hundred of these like sizable things, none of which are sort of ten billion plus maybe events, but are all independently so large that if half of these come off, like it's going to really shake the market. And I think you're right there. That uncertainty is potentially keeping capacity out, do you think? Is that kind of the the risk that you're seeing in the market from that? Yeah, I, I think so, not just keeping capacity out, but also just making it very hard to be a reinsurance broker mm. to push for softer prices. Like if you're a client or a broker and you want to go out to market and say, oh, you know, the world isn't as risky. You know, you should be giving us a better price. There's yeah. so many <laughs> things that an underwriter can point to so many objections yeah. that you can raise. And to the exact same point, you know, the LPs, the or, or any kind of source of capital that might consider backing an underwriting operation at the moment, not only have they got the likely peaked, but probably sustained interest rates as an alternative source of, you know, return on investment that they can use instead of the reinsurance industry. I, not only that, but hovering over their minds is also, mm -hmm. ah, do I want to get exposed in an industry that has, you know, direct interaction with the, these grey swan risks mm. uh, that could potentially, you know, really, really ruin my investment? Yeah. Uh, whereas you don't have that if you're, you know, yeah. choosing a much safer, seemingly uncorrelated investment, potentially. Yeah. But I. So yeah. if we then circle back to. That's why the, I'm dressed as a grey swan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, if we then come back to the the question at the very top of the show of when do we think this market will end by which we're deter well, by which we're saying it will either flatline in its sort of continue to rate increase on the whole or begin to start to come down a little bit what do what do you think is the answer to that then so the point at which we see the directional change yeah i in part depends on how quickly it accelerates to that point 
everyone's happy as well, right? Sure. I, I which, which yeah, I, yeah. I feel, I feel we upset each other quite yeah. a lot during the previous year's renewals yeah. because it was such a sharp acceleration. Yeah. And it left people without cover that they wanted. It left people. Yeah. You know, people hadn't budgeted for a sudden shift in, in their reinsurance yeah. costs. Nobody was ready for those conversations for like a radical. Yeah. And they were using it like as like a Band-Aid pull. Like we're going to, it's going to hurt year one. And we're gonna, yeah. Like, but it was an, an aggressive and fast reset. And if you compare that to soft market cycle that we had for a very long time, it was more of like a gradual erosion of prices. Yep. I, I think this year's renewals will maybe give quite a, a strong signal Yeah. in terms of direction, in terms of what people have paid as an increase this year, of how comfortable people start to feel about leveling that off a bit, yeah. uh, how, how quickly we accelerate there versus if I'm a pragmatic underwriter here and I think that mm -hmm. this hard market cycle is caused by sustained factors mm -hmm. that will continue next year and perhaps for several years afterwards, which yeah. to be honest with you, I think is quite likely. Mm -hmm. I would maybe consider being more patient and building in, you know, a hypothesis of I'm going to be able to keep on increasing this account's rates gradually over the next several yeah. years, rather than being like, this is the last chance to benefit from the hard market. We've got to go all in now. Yeah, I don't see new capital coming to the market and stealing your share. Yeah, anytime particularly soon. I I would be pretty bullish on yeah. you know let's keep customer relationships good. Let's give them a managed change that moves in step with you know what feels reasonable yeah and sustainable for us both but you know having an open conversation with the great relationships we have in this industry that really we're nowhere near where we need to be we need to get there by 2025 2026 yeah. and we'll we'll collaborate i i also think what you'll see is so i agree i agree entirely with the speed of execution around the hardening to get to that flat line sooner i also think what you'll see is a little bit more collaboration from the sedent around like going we got a bit greedy, perhaps, maybe not use that term directly, but we got a little bit um, greedy with what we could get in the market before. But now as we establish like this new sort of, okay, we're ha we, we should have these risks on our balance sheet. We should be buying a bit higher because that's showing our sort of commitment to quality underwriting. And I think you'll see some of those conversations happen more. So we'll get to a point where the seedings have shifted what they think they should concede um, and the position that they want to start at um, and then use that as a position to, of the starting the conversation with the reinsurers around if we if we agree to sort of stay here mm. are you agree like in, in having that more of a collaborative alignment um, rather than over the sort of several years of the soft market that slow erosion as you said where they sort of t took a bit a bit more each year um, and then the very abrupt shift the reinsurers applied when the market hardened to then reset on like, okay, wait, a, we know this is, we're doing this, we're in this together kind of conversation. Yeah. So I think that will help align it. But I'm super interested to sort of watch what 2024 looks like um, and see it. I think you're seeing the the aggressive shift has, it doesn't seem to be there this, uh, for the 2020 or 1-1-2024 renewal. Um, but as we go into the duration of 2024 mm -hmm. and the year ahead, I think you'll get a sense as to what that looks like from a capacity perspective as well as from a sort of alignment yeah. perspective. I, I think this should be a, a massive boom for our industry at the insurance level and the reinsurance level in terms of just scale, right? Like, I, yes, the losses are getting bigger, but right now you've got, you know, AI risks arriving that weren't there before that are suddenly going to be huge. You've got a, an energy transition that's worth 
billions all over the world as people race to get access to rare minerals. You've got uh, defense budgets being established, you know, that, that range into the hundreds of billions. Yeah. Uh, there's so much demand right now for insurance that's going to flow through to reinsurance if we can position ourselves to take advantage of that yeah. and to be available to help uh, people who need coverage in really, really uncertain times. Yeah, And the sort of converse of the fact that uncertain times are scary yeah. is that that's when insurance becomes the most valuable. Yeah. Uh, so it's our, our chance as an industry to, to step in and make a difference and actually grow our value to the world. Yeah. So that was the longest no answer you're ever going to get on the podcast around what we think, but it's tough. It's complicated. So um, those are some, some of the things that we factor in, but as you, I mean, it's just, there's no an- direct answer to something like this, which is why it's such an interesting area for us to dive into. But Thank you for enjoying that one with us. That was an interesting discussion. Thank you. Yeah, we, we're going to flee the studio now because it's appropriate for this time of year. <laughs> Absolutely freezing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like shaking in the studio. But. Until then, everyone, thank you so much. Uh,